radical difference that the new covenant has for us as believers and how big of a revolution Jesus brought into this thing we call a relationship with God that we can have this thing where we maybe begin to discard some of the things of old. But we see references by Jesus quoting the Old Testament. We see Paul and the early writers. We see it all in Roman there. And this is a continuation of this story that begins in Genesis. And you're living it out as part of this story today. And so what we can do is on this side of the cross and what Jesus has done, we can look back and through the cross we can look back and we can see some of these who've gone before us and live lives of faith and trusted God and did crazy, awesome, wonderful things. And we can let those be some faith boosters for us so that we understand how to walk in this thing we call a relationship with God. And we're going to go ahead and, and jump into our notes. It says, The faith those of those who have gone before us shows us what it means to know God better and to trust Him more. And let's go ahead and read this jumping off scripture we've used for the whole series. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, they're just these people that are cheering us on are all the way around. We just think of a stadium full of people, and we're on the field, we're on the track, we're getting it done, and they're cheering us on. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Yes, as believers, we've been set free from the law of sin and death, He's freed us and we are heaven ready right now, but we get trapped in still some destructive, sinful life choices that will entangle us, that will snare us, that will trip us up. And so we've got to be free of that and make life-giving choices and allow the Holy Spirit to walk us into this place of, of choosing life and not death. And it says, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. And what we've kind of done is we've got this concept that all of these people, all that have gone before us, they're cheering us on. And just like that deal, if you've ever been an athlete on the field and, and you've, you've heard the crowd yelling, it's one big, united, <clears throat> engaging, energetic roar. And you don't hear voices individually. And so this concept with this series is we're looking as if somebody comes out and they just kind of run a lap with us. They just come out of this great cloud and they come in and we're like... How would they encourage us in this moment? And they're just kind of just kind of going with us and encourage us in our race to, to keep on going. And these different people have some different moments for when we hit snares in our own personal race. So today we're going to look at Joseph, not Jesus's stepdad, Joseph. Yes, Jesus had a stepdad. Isn't that awesome to think of? Isn't that amazing to think of that Jesus was introduced to a blended family? That Jesus had somebody that wasn't his DNA that loved him and stepped up like a dad. That Joseph's assignment was to father and to love and to raise somebody that wasn't his own flesh and blood. May I tell you what, if you've embraced that, I applaud you. If you're being willing to do that, whether it's physically or whether it's you're in volunteering someplace or, or you're doing that on, on some level, man, I'm telling you what, mentorship and fatherhood, is a, is a, there's a vacuum and it needs to be filled. <clears throat> and so it's Joseph from the Old Testament. This is Joseph who we've already looked at, at Abraham and we looked at Abraham and we looked at his uh, daughter-in-law, Rebecca, last week. Well, now we're going to look at Rebecca's grandson. 
Rebecca's grandson is named Joseph. And we're going to dig into him because Joseph is going to give us some encouragement for when life isn't turning out the way you planned. And we don't have to raise our hands. I know the stories. I talked to you. None of us in here are sitting here saying, life turned out the way I planned it to. None of us. And if you plan to be sitting in a movie theater listening to me, I want to say you're awesome. You are, I love that. I didn't plan to be standing up here. This is, this is not what I had anticipated. And so none of us are in the place that we thought. As we dreamed our little dreams at, at 10 years old, and as we grew and we had our, our concepts of where our life would be when we were 16, and, and when we got that diploma, if we crossed that threshold in life, and, and got that and graduated high school and said, okay, this is where I'm going to be when I'm the age you are now. You're probably not there. None of us are. So as things roll out, we kind of have to deal with some bumps and some detours and some things not going quite as planned. And it can be some incredibly discouraging moments and and what Joseph would just yell at us, what Joseph would just be trucking along and he's running that lap with us, he'd be telling us that whole time, don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up. There is a moment where everybody hits that place and you just go, I guess not. I guess not. I guess this just isn't the way it's going to go and I'm just going to have to just kind of Gulp and regroup and probably choose to quit dreaming and probably choose to say, you know what, I'm going to get into life defense and I'm just going to try to get out of this with as few bruises as possible. And that's not what God has called us to, not even remotely. You may not be uh, familiar with the story of Joseph. I absolutely love the story of Joseph. If you read Genesis all the way through all 50 chapters of it, the last big chunk of it is Joseph's story. We have more narrative, we have more details about his life than just about anybody else in the Old Testament. I mean, we have a, it is this huge chunk, this huge story. And it's really, he lives to be really, really old. And we get this little, this little piece, that we get this little part of it, starting when he's about 17 years old and then we pick up and we end in his early adulthood and he lives to be a really old man. And we don't know so much about all of the details of that, but there's a chunk we know a whole lot about. And and we're going to pick up right here. And um, Joseph was, at this point, was a baby brother. And he had a bunch of older brothers. And for some reason, his dad favored him. Is that right? Is it right to pick one kid over another? As a father of seven, I wholeheartedly say no. And so, except Lulu, you're my favorite. And so, sorry, son. And uh, anyways, but no, it's not. It's, it's not right. And, um, and so, but for, uh, it, it was open. It was just not, it wasn't even this thing like, 
we're pretty sure Joseph's the favorite. No, I mean, Dad, like, completely made it known that this baby boy was the favorite, and he makes him this coat of, of many colors, and he, he gives this to them and, and honors him and kind of makes him the, the, the foreman over his older brothers who are, who are taking care of the family's stuff, and, and things just create some major, major sibling rivalry. Major sibling rivalry. And then we pick up Joseph in uh, Genesis 37, and we're going to look at verse 5. It said, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. The dream didn't make his brothers hate him. They already hated him. He was favored. It wasn't fair. Why does dad love Joseph more? Then Joseph comes out, and Joseph tells him this dream, and they're like, Joseph's a prideful, arrogant jerk. Why does dad love him so much more? So he tells them the dream, and he said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and all bowed down. You all are going to bow to baby brother. Yeah, that went over really good. It just drove them up the wall. They just couldn't take it. They just couldn't take it. He ends up having another dream and shares all of that. And it's the same thing, but now mom and dad are involved with it. And now he's promoted even above dad. And, and they're like, ah, oh, we just can't take this anymore. And finally they're out doing their shepherding business. Joseph is being the pampered one back there and gets the, the, the job to go check up on the older brothers, bring a report, be tattletale, back to dad, and see if they're doing what they're told. Everybody loves a tattletale. Every, you know, we all know it. Snitches get stitches. We know it. That's the way it rolls. Snitches get stitches. And so, so here comes the snitch. He's riding up. And they see him and they know that, man, we don't have all our stuff together. And he's going to tell that. And I, we're just sick of him. And here he comes with a coat flapping and We're just done with this guy. And here's what they say in verse 19. They say, here comes that dreamer. It wasn't here comes the snitch. Here comes the favorite. Here comes the whatever they could have called him. Could have been some, you know, hash marks and expletives there. I mean, it could have been, but it's not. It's here comes the dreamer. Well, when it was all said and done, what really pushed them over the edge was this, this dream that God had given him and he dared to share and, and they just couldn't take it anymore. And they said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, a pit, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Take that, dead guy. How are we going to bow to you now? You're dead. It's not going to work. We're going to be the first weekend at Bernie's and we're going to prop him up. It's not going to happen. And so, uh, so anyways, they end up. 
They end up getting him, and one of the brothers says, you know, this is just wrong. He's our brother. We can't, we can't kill him. We can't take him out like that. That's not cool. What we'll do is we're not going to gain anything out of that. Let's sell him into slavery. And here are these guys that are in the Bible are called the patriarchs, the fathers of the Israel nation. All of the tribes take their names from the guys who are committing this, okay? The tribe of Judah, Judah was involved in this. The tribe of Levi, where all the priests come from, Levi was involved in this. They're all conspiring together, okay? And they have this recorded human trafficking incident that they sell their brother into slavery and they take him along they get their pieces of silver that they can share among themselves and profit a little bit and some Canaanite traders take him stick him in their little caravan and they haul him off and he's like he's going far away we got a little pocket money they're gone. They killed the goat, put, it all, put blood all over his precious little coat, showed it to dad and said, Dad, oh, my goodness, it's, it's horrible. Our favorite brother. We grieve with you, Father. I don't know how we're going to make it, but he, he's dead. Alas, he's dead. And they got all poetic and beautiful. Rosebud. And, uh, and so uh, they... Uh, and, and they sell it, and Dad buys it. Dad, buys, Dad goes into mourning, and, and, and he buys it hook, line, and sinker, and Joseph still lives. He is a slave in a foreign country with a dream in his heart, with no rights and no anything, but he lives. He lives. So what we're going to talk about today is, how, is some, some things he's, as he's telling us not to give up on our dreams. We want to say this. I think he would tell us that even if you don't start so well, don't give up on your dreams even if you don't start so well. I'm going to tell you first and foremost, man, I, whenever I was little, I, I hate failure. I hate it. I hate it. I have lived my life at certain points crippled by a fear of failure. I started out really, really young. I, I spoke fairly quickly, but I had problems with, with, my, with my BRs, with being named Brandon. And my, my mom would sit with me and say, say this, you know, you know, say couch, couch, say dog, dog, say cat, cat, say Brandon. I wouldn't say it. Finally, when I said it, I said, Brandon. And I knew, my mom said, I knew it was gonna be wrong but I did it anyways, and it just drove me, it just drove me up the wall that I wanted to do it right. You know, there's people who, you know, that they, they are athletic, and they know it, and they, and they go, and they feel like they can accomplish anything. I was the guy who knew my body's not going to do that. I'm going to go try to do this, and it's not going to work. And so everybody's all playing and doing cool things out on the playground, and I'm doing a good job to stand and not fall over. You know, my, my big goal is I fight gravity. I'm awesome at that most of the time. And, um, and so I just wouldn't try athletic things. I wouldn't do athletic things. I was just so afraid of failure. And finally one day I began to realize I stink at everything the first time. And you know how liberating that was? 
that I'm terrible at everything the first time. Even the things God's called me to. So it's okay that I fail at it because one day I'm not going to be so terrible. One day he's going to equip me. And as soon as I gave myself permission to stink a little bit, it was okay. There's a fantastic book about the process for Pixar. It's called Creativity, Inc. It's just a really great book. I enjoy it. And Pixar, they talk about it. They've always, all their movies are number ones. This movie Inside Out, they've had on the, they've had on the docks since day one. They've had planned this movie. All their movies have been number ones, but they said all their movies start out terrible. Somebody pitches it, and it's terrible. Like, we can't make this movie. But then they just keep working with it and working with it and working with it and coming along. God had called us to ministry. I was a brand new minister. I was sitting and spending time with my pastor, and he was training us. And he told me, never, ever, ever pass up an opportunity to preach unless God clearly tells you no. Man, just run it with a green light. So the youth pastor at that time comes to me and says, hey, will you give your testimony? So I'm 20 years old. I've, I've preached in my homiletics class, my how to preach class, but I've not really preached preach. So, man, I'm like, sure, I'm going to do it. Cutie and I wanted nothing to do with youth ministry. We were barely out of youth ministry. And so she was 19, I was 20. We go there, and, I, man, I prep my message, and I'm just sharing and preaching and nobody's paying attention kids are rolling their eyes and not looking around nobody gets saved nobody no great altar call nobody's going that's the best message i've ever heard in my life there are three girls at the end of the row looking at my wife trying to pick a fight with her and if anybody knows my wife knows that could have been dangerous that could have been dangerous she's much more calm today and um Anyways, and so we just, it was just not a good moment. And in the middle of that, God just dropped into my heart. This is where I want you. This is where I want you. And I'm like, all right. There was no warm fuzzies. There was no great success. Of course, this is where you want me. I killed it. Woo! That was awesome. No, it was terrible. I'm like, seriously, this is where you want me? I sit down, and we had already discussed we weren't going to do youth stuff. I sat down by Cutie, and she just is like, this is where God wants us. I'm like, it is. She wasn't happy about it. I wasn't elated about it. We said yes to God, and we spent eight and a half incredible years doing youth ministry and loving it. Got to be involved. I got multiple of the guys I got to mentor back then. Uh, leading youth ministries and churches around. We as a church got to be a part of helping Brian Sparks, who was in that meeting that day, and I got to spend years mentoring him, and he started a church that's just blown up in the Metroplex called the Church RC. My son got to be a part of the launch team there, and it happened out of that little moment. I was terrible. I was horrible. But I'll tell you what, just because you don't start so well doesn't mean that God's not in it. He did not have, Joseph didn't have the start he thought he would have. 1 Timothy 1, 12 says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful appointing me to this service even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I don't care what your history is here today. I don't care how recent or how far or any of it. God's got an incredible plan for you, and don't you dare let it be robbed. Don't you dare let it be robbed. 
Next thing he would tell us is, even if those closest to you don't support you, even if those right there think you're, they're not, this isn't, you're not hearing this right. Man, Joseph, I mean, his brother, he shared his dream, and it ended up getting sold into slavery. Almost died. Didn't get a lot of support. Mark 6, 3 through 4, Jesus was in the exact same boat. He says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother, James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, and Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. Jesus, the place he could do no mighty miracles, was right there where he grew up. Because of their lack of unbelief. I mean, their lack of faith. I think he would also tell us to not give up on the dream, even if the journey is full of surprises. We're going to quickly go across the, the screen and look some of, the, some of the, the, these points in Joseph's life as we cruise through there. First, we're going to see that he was misunderstood by his family. They didn't get it. They weren't on page. They weren't on page. You think that was a, a give up or a go on moment? Give up? I think it was probably a give up moment. What about when he was sold into slavery and, and became a slave in a man named Potiphar's house? He's a slave. Is that a give up or a go on moment? It's a give up. You can talk on this part if you want to. And so it's give up. Now what about living in a strange country far from home? He's all alone here. Is this a give up or a go on moment? It's a give up moment. Now all of a sudden there is he is just being awesome. Nobody's keeping him accountable. Nobody says you got to honor God in these different things. <clears throat> He's given Pharaoh in Potiphar's house. All of a sudden he rises up from the rank of slave and that he's so good at taking care of business. He ends up as the, the chief of staff for, for Potiphar, this high official in, in uh, Egypt. He ends up running everything. And all Potiphar does, he doesn't even check on him. He doesn't do anything. His house is just seamless. And everything's going good. So all of a sudden, things kind of turn around. Was this maybe a give up or a go on moment? To go on. Man, things are kind of getting good here. We're going to be all right. We're going to be okay. Problem was, Joseph was good looking. And just like Daniel Gomez. And uh, he was good looking, and Potiphar's wife was less than honorable. And the Bible's very clear that she went after him day in and day out. Okay? High officials in a place like that have trophy wives. They just do. She was a hottie. She was cared for, had all the best of everything. She was pampered. She was all of the different things you would see. And she goes after him hardcore. And she, the Bible says she was relentless. She tells him every day, come sleep with me. Come sleep with me. And he tells her, no, this would not honor, this would not honor Potiphar, and it wouldn't honor my God. Which their gods in Egypt wasn't even the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the only one that cares about the one true God. Nobody's telling him you can't do this to God. 
He's the only one that's doing this. She finally gets so stirred up with lust for him that she throws herself full on at him. Joseph has to run for his life and flees. And he comes out of his garment, his outer garment, his, his outer cloak, and he peels out of it, and he's just bolting. He just leaves. And she's stuck there holding this, and she's been dejected for the last time. And Potiphar comes home, and she says, do you know what that Joseph did? He tried to rape me. And look, he left his cloak here. And Potiphar believed his wife, had him thrown in jail. And he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife for doing the right thing. Is this a give up or go on moment? How many of us have done the right thing and got our teeth kicked in anyways? How many of us have gone the extra mile and feel like all all that was was taken advantage of? How many of us treated somebody right just to have them turn around and treat us completely wrong? It's happened. It's happened to all of us. You want to give up. He's thrown into prison. Give up or go on. Give up. But guess what? He's still Joseph. He didn't quit being Joseph. And just like he started out of slavery, out slave, and he went to the body, all of a sudden he's Drake all over again. Starting at the bottom, now he's top. He does it. And he's given, let's come on. You think I don't know Drake? He's put in charge of all the prisoners. He's taking care of business. He's put in charge. He's a prisoner running the prison and doing a good job. Okay? He's got all, he's, every, he's in command of everything. Could he have walked? Yeah. Yeah, he could have walked. Hey, they're trusting him. He could have taken advantage of it and bolted. He didn't. He stayed honorable. So all of a sudden, he's in prison, but now he's running everything. Is that a give up or go on? Let's go on. It's a little bit encouraging. It's okay. This isn't going to be horrible. Then he gets this moment, there are these two other chief officials who they have dreams. He interprets the dreams. One of them, it doesn't work out so good, he gets his head cut off. The other guy gets restored to his place and Joseph says, hey, remember me when you're back in front of the Pharaoh? And the guy's like, I absolutely will, you're, the, you're awesome, you're so good, you're so wonderful. He forgets. Two years more, he stays in prison. He's forgotten by the chief cupbearer. He has a moment, he thinks he's going to get out, all's going good. Two years. Is that a give up or go on moment? Give up. Let's go on to the next one. Then finally Pharaoh has a disturbing dream and the cupbearer remembers, oh man, yeah, Joseph, he interpreted the dream and he was spot on and, and the other dude got his head whacked and, and I'm here and, and stuff's good and he knows stuff and you need to talk to him. And Pharaoh calls him and he interprets Pharaoh's dream and Pharaoh is like, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. This is this a give up or go on? To go on, and then he becomes second in command of Egypt. Go on. Go on. So here he is. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So I want, I also want us to understand that he would tell us that even if it takes a long time, don't give up on your dream even if it takes a long time to realize it. Some things just don't come quickly. Habakkuk 2, verse 3 in the Living Bible says, These things I, pl- 
These things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when vision will be fulfilled and it seems slow. Do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. If we were to go back through and count the give up and the go ons, there's twice as many, twice as many give up moments as there are go on moments. I think if you looked at your life and you looked back, you would probably say there were probably twice as many give up moments as go on moments. Some of you here just feel like you're coasting on fumes. Just right on the edge. Don't give up. So that's why we want to hear his final words. We think as he's departing, he'd throw these little advice over his shoulder. And he would tell us that focus not on what hap- uh, focus on what happens in you, not what happens to you. He allowed God to continue to, to work this place out in him. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. These things that don't go right, these detours, these things, they're tough on us. But man, they're not, the, the difficulty of that isn't worth what God's going to do and reveal in us. In James 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, consider it. This is, means you've got to make your mind up and you've got to view it this way because there's another way to look at it. But consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance produces hope, and, and, and uh, hope doesn't disappoint us. And then I really want us to nail this one, that your response to offense determines your future. Because guess what? Joseph is run in Egypt. He's the prime minister. He's in charge of everything after interpreting the dream. Only Pharaoh is higher than him. There's a, there's a great, great time of plenty. The crops are producing like crazy. Joseph is smart and stores it all up and saves it up. He's a good steward. Then the famine hits, and it's a bad one, and nobody can grow anything at all. And they have to live on what's been stored up. And it hits everybody and hits Joseph's brothers and his dad. And they finally say, I hear there's some grain in Egypt. Take some money, go buy some. And here his brothers, all of a sudden, one day, he's the most powerful guy. He has soldiers at his command. And there are his brothers, the guys who betrayed him. The guys who betrayed him standing in front of him. And they bowed because he was an official. They didn't recognize him. And there his dream becomes a reality. And he has a moment where he could choose to use his authority to take them out. Or he could choose to work through a place and see some reconciliation. And it's a really neat story. But he finally comes to a point. And he gets restoration. He brings his family here. We're not going to use the video so you can pass on that. That he brings to a place and they, he brings his whole family there and they live with them and he takes care of them. But the whole time that these brothers are living under the favor and the provision of their brother, they are scared and they think the only reason that Joseph hasn't killed them is for the sake of his dad. And as soon as his dad dies all these years later, they're like, he's going to kill us now. Pop's gone. 
and he's going to take us out. And they're afraid. And Joseph has really forgiven them in his heart. And it breaks his heart that they've been afraid of him all these time. And he has this moment with them. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, You intended to harm me. Other translation says, You intended evil. He didn't whitewash it. He didn't water it down. He didn't sweeten it. He said, You tried to take me out. You were evil in that. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured assured them and spoke kindly to them. What a tragedy that they lived in a place of provision and forgiveness. And the whole time they still thought that there was this penalty hanging over their head the whole time. Folks, I want to tell you that when God forgave you in Christ, he forgave you. He forgave you. And don't sit there and think my church attendance or my giving or my prayers or any of this is staving off that last little bit of pop that God's going to give. You are forgiven. And enjoy it. Is it right? Is it fair? No. Grace isn't fair. It's not. But that's where we're And we will sit there and we will live like outsiders inside of where we're supposed to thrive if we still think in the back of our heads that wrath is right on our heels. We have to be freed from that. We have to be. And the last thing he would tell us is that every dream has tough times, but remember that God is always with you. Psalm 139 verse 8 says, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, I settle on the far side of the sea. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He doesn't say, if I get and I sleep at the church doorstep or on the altar, you're there. He says, no, all over the place, you're with me. You're with me. In Matthew 28 says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. People, God is so for you. Even though things have felt derailed, even though th- things have felt hijacked and, and not gone the way they've gone, don't let go of the great dream that God's put in you. All Paul ever wanted to do was serve God. He thought he was doing it right and he ended up persecuting Jesus. But his heart was to just do it right and that's what God saw and he returned and he ended up accomplishing more for the kingdom of God than he ever thought he could. Was it the path he thought he would go? No way. But my goodness, did it make a difference. And your life can be exactly the same way. God is so for us. Let's run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. I want to create a quiet moment here. And for those of you who are saying, Brandon, I really did. I I thought that this thing of, of, of serving God was about him, about trying to undo all the dumb things I've done. Trying to make some restitution. And I finally get it, Brandon. I finally get it that there was nothing I could do to fix myself and that Jesus had to die so that I could be made right with God. And he did it, and I believe it, and I believe I'm right with God based on what Jesus did, and that's it. And if that's you this morning, I want you to just say, I believe it. I believe it. I'm there. 
I say yes to that today. And we just want to pray with you. If that's you. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our voices.